So we're ready to jump into John 14. Still in John. <laughs> okay, um, Peter, would you please read uh, verses 15 and to 17? If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And what are Jesus' commandments? If you love me, do what I command. Have you ever had someone hold that over your head? If you really love me, how does Jesus mean it here? There's actually two different manuscript readings here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, or if you love me, keep my commandments. Which did Jesus say? It's the first. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the first. And, and here's the th reason why. I translate the New Testament into, Greek, into Hebrew a lot. <laughs> because uh, that's the native language. And there was actually a revival of Hebrew just before Jesus came uh, in Jerusalem. So Greek doesn't always do us a, a service. And every injunction, or I shouldn't say every injunction, most injunctions. If you take the Ten Commandments, for example. Uh, and this is especially true of prohibitions. Uh, every injunction is a promise. Almost every word. You shall have no other gods before me. You will have no other gods before me. Uh, the, there's no difference between you will and you will. Uh, in the Hebrew, it is the, what we call the, the imperfect. And the imperfect uh, can be used as a, as a prohibition. Um, it can even be used as an as a injunction. Um, and it can be used as simply this is what's going to happen. Or this is what is happening. And now there are exceptions in the Ten Commandments. Uh, there is one imperative, and that is honor your father and your mother. That's the one real command in the Ten Commandments. The other one is a is a, an affinitive absolute, which can act as a command. Uh, remember, and remember the Sabbath day. But all the almost all the rest, I think, are the imperfect, which conveys this this dual sense. Uh, that's why, so when Ellen White uh, says uh, every command is a promise, I have to smile because she knew nothing about she Hebrew. Didn't know Hebrew but she did pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> she did pretty good. Is that really, that really brings out in the Hebrew that like Hebrew, uh, if you love me, keep my, that he, what's, it's a natural response of love to to obey, but he will empower us. Is, is there any of that sense that he gives you? The no, strength no, it's just it's a that? consequence of the, the, the love, love has that power. Love has that power. Yeah, God's love has that power. It also seems with God and like in the Abrahamic covenant that there's commands and promises, and they're so close to being together. So that's kind of maybe the way that God. Actually, is. you know, actually there are no commands in the covenant in the covenant of Abraham. Or in the covenant of Noah. Now there's some commands nearby, 
but they don't seem to be tied. They're, they're actually given first, and then God says, I'm going to make my covenant with you. I'm putting my bow in the cloud, uh, and so on. And there's no stipulations following that covenant. This is a covenant of the promise. Remember Paul's language, the covenant of the promise. Uh, that's God's preferred covenant. And so with Abraham, God says, I'm going I'm to give you, the, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abraham believes God, and that's his response. That's his natural response to God's promise. And that is considered his righteousness. Abraham trusted God, and God considered that his righteousness. A few lines later, God says, I'm going to give you this land. Abraham says, well, how do I know I'm going to get it? Oops, where's your faith, Abraham? He, he, uh, he loses it. And so God, that's why God does this ceremony of the animal. He has to cut a covenant now after the style of the ancient Near East. That's what they did. But it's only him that goes through it. Only God that goes through it. Yeah, only God is the one who sets his own stipulations. We receive it by faith. That's the covenant. The Sinai covenant ends up being works because all that the Lord has said we will do. This is people's refrain. So this is, this is about response because... I can't resist uh, quoting Desire of Ages 22. I was just doing a Bible study with a student last night, and we were on that page. So I can't resist quoting it. Love cannot be commanded. It cannot be won by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. So uh, that's, that's where Jesus is coming from. So then he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another. And what was your version, Peter? You know, I don't like the NIV that uses the word counselor. Um, it kind of takes away from comforter, capital C, in the Geneva and in the King James Version. Yeah, and that, the comforter is just seems much more... You know what, What the, the my version has advocate, which is even worse. Oh, <laughs> it says in the, my version that for the Greek it's... Parakletos? Parakletos. Parakletos, um, which equals one alongside to help mm-hmm. or intercessor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One alongside. Yeah, that's how they interpret it, it's intercessor, but I'm not convinced yeah. that that is the... I don't know if we have Little and Scott mm-hmm. here. Oh, you guys, this is all different. Mine just says helper. Helper? Yeah, I mean, in mine it says helper, but then... Yeah. See, it doesn't, side note, it doesn't have to have a legal term. It doesn't have to have a legal Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you mean with intercessor, yeah. It kind of sounds like an intermediate or... But the the Holy Spirit is the one alongside us. He's the one supporting us. I I would like the one who supports us uh, as a a good interpretation of this. And and yes, comfort is in there and and all of those things, but it's a a very broad-based term, uh, and let's not narrow it down to one function. And it, it, Jesus does say another comfort, and that's what leads a lot of people to say, oh, Jesus is our mediator, our intercessor, so he ha- we have another one. And you see uh, in the Christian church as it increasingly got into power uh, and increasingly magnified divine anger, God couldn't, be ass- God couldn't be assuaged, his anger couldn't be assuaged by merely Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You had to have Peter and St. Mary 
and and pretty soon a long, long line of saints assuaging his wrath. And then you had to add your merit, and then you had, I mean, it just grew and grew. There was no end to God's anger. And there wasn't much that separated us from, like, other other um, pagan religions. No, there was no difference. And it all came from paganism, yeah. uh, brought into Christianity. Jesus uh, describes the Comforter in verse 17, which I think is astounding. In the, in the Geneva, it says, Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be with and shall be in you. Peter said in his very liberal translation, <laughs> he, he was interested in what he does. He says, uh, there's two words, you know, I'm telling you these things while I am still living with you. The friend, capital letters, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send at my request. Mm. Uh, it's kind of a neat way. Yeah. What, what version is that? Message. Oh, message. The fr- it's interesting, he encapsulates this uh, this uh, comforter, this this counselor, this this one beside us as a friend. And and for our view of friendship, that's wonderful. But for for Jesus back in his time, friend had a totally different connotation. Yes, a friend. Your your friend was someone who did something for his for his patron. It was a patron client society uh, with the elite having the most money and the most power. And then, then uh, other people, you were your, f- your patron's friend. If you went first thing to his house and asked him what you, he wanted you to do, and he told you, gave you his list, and you went out and did that before you did your own work. Yeah. So it's a totally different view of friendships. It's obligatory friendship. It's, yeah. So we can use the word friend, and, and it's, it makes sense, yeah. but, but not in Jesus' time. Uh-huh. I like the spirit of truth. I think this is uh, all the translations have. The yeah, spirit yeah, of truth. Yeah, the spirit of truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is truth in the Gospel of John? He is the truth. What does that mean? Kind of like what we were saying last week. He get, Jesus gives us the perfect picture of who God is. Mm-hmm. So that is the true picture of God. Is is truth? Is it truth as in the facts? the real versus the unreal. And there's some of that there. Or is there a different a, a different way of looking at truth that's more experiential? What would experiential truth be like? That's, that's a neat idea. Neat concept. Is it the truth about, well, it's the truth about God. But if, because it, it does that. He is the truth. He, yeah. It's like if you have your most dear okay. uh, friendship, family connection, whatever, you know, you could also say that is the, tr- that is the truth, that is the... This, this word truth in Hebrew, and I, I will never read the New Testament outside of Hebrew eyes, but this, the word in Hebrew is closely related to the word for trust. In fact, they come from the same root. Trust. Truth and trust. So, truth is what can be trusted. And how do you know so you can trust someone? You have to experience their trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. 
You have to experience it to know that can, they can be trusted. Mm-hmm. It isn't something, I can't tell you, oh, you can trust so-and-so and expect you to trust him. I have to explain how I know I can trust him. I had this experience with him, and I had that experience with him, and I had the other experience, and that's how I know I can trust him. The, the Hebrews never separated this stuff like we do in the Greek or we do in modern, in between the, 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 cogn, you know, the affective and the cognitive part. They kept it all together. Well, it, Hebrew, thinking, Hebrew thinking is holistic. Any other culture stick with that? I think the Irish come close. I think the Irish come close. Presumably, all Semitic cultures do, but the more I study Babylonia and the idol worship and everything, no. I keep in mind, and this is something that is still a little bit embryonic with me, I haven't completely grasped the significance of this. But there's a huge difference between Greek and thus Western thought and Hebrew thought. In that Greek and Western thought are static and linear Mm -hmm. and spatial. So the best way I can illustrate this is this is Greek thought and everything is about point on a line in and, and we can control that. So it's space, and it's um, static, so it's this point, and it's fixed, and so we have this absolute thinking, and I'm not against absolutes in terms of principles, but uh, the kind of absolute thinking we have is static absolute, not dynamic absolute. So this is Greek, and this is what we've inherited in Western culture. Hebrew is, it's dynamic. Anybody here read Paralandra by C.S. Lewis? Yeah. You have. Remember the fixed land? Try to remember. Remember, remember that C.S. Lewis in Paralandra um, tries to recast the fall of yeah, human yeah, beings yeah, yeah. on Venus. Mm-hmm. Puts it on Venus. Yeah. And... Um, the equivalent of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is fixed land. Okay. And the uh, equivalent of the tree of life is this moving land that you have to walk, you have to walk with it. You have to completely mm-hmm. relearn how to walk. He encapsulates this concept in parallel. Uh, so the Hebrew, the Hebrew is dynamic, uh, not static. Give us an example. Uh, well, kind of a concrete example of the difference of a concept. Right. I'll, I'll come to it in just a minute. Let me unpack the other part. It is action as opposed to static. It's dynamic as opposed, let's see, oh, the action is, is the dynamic. Uh, and so then it's temporal as in time-based instead of spatial. So the Hebrew, whereas in in Greek thinking, you control time, you measure time, you you keep time, uh, and you you make time. In Hebrew, you live in time. You're part of time. That is, you don't control it, you don't manipulate it, you don't use it, you don't mark it, you don't keep track of it. 
you just live in it. And that is Sabbath. It's, it's the concept that the Native Americans had of living in nature, living as part of nature, living in harmony with nature, as opposed to controlling nature and subduing nature in, in the ra ra uh, rapist sense of, of, you know, we're going to cut down trees and build houses and, and build things and, and we're going to use nature for our own selfish benefit. Native Americans believed that nature was sacred and needed to be preserved, and they lived in nature, in harmony with nature. So, good example. God is a verb, not a noun. <coughs> That's good. Uh, and, and the way you know that is because the name Yahweh is a verb. Is that? <laughs> it is the verb to be. He is. Wow. And when, cool. when God gave his name, he gives it in the first person singular, Ehya, I am. But this is not static, I am. We think, we think of the verb to be a static here. They think of it as active, becoming, dynamic, not stagnant. And God is action. Is, is that what Heschel was trying to get at when he talked about the Sabbath? His whole metaphor of the Sabbath is eternity. It's our little gift that it reminds us of eternity. Yeah, but, then, but that's not just infinity like the Greeks would have it. That's, that's a reality. That's yeah. a whole living, living vibrant... In, living in the exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now I'm going to take you to another step in this whole thing. I love it when I learn things from all areas of walks of life and they all come together and make sense in a perfect whole. And this is one of those concepts. I'm trying to think of a name. Tronic. Tronic. In the 1970s, Edward Tronic and some colleagues of his who were developmental psychologists did a study with mothers and six-month-old babies called the Still Face Experiment. You've heard of that? He had mothers come in with their six-month-olds, and they would hold them on their lap, and they would engage them in facial expressions. You know how babies love, you make faces at them, and they make faces back, and they pretty soon they start imitating you. Well, that's what the mothers were doing with their babies, and then Tronic said, okay, stop. Now, go into a still face for three minutes, and if your child tries to engage you, just be still. So the mothers did that. And the babies invariably got confused, got upset, they tried to engage, and finally they gave up. At the end of just three minutes. Mm, gave up in three minutes, wow. And then he'd say, okay, now re-engage your infant. And um, the babies would protest, no, that game's over. And uh, eventually they would get them back. But there was confusion, anger, distrust, etc., <laughs> etc. Et because, well, look at our society. You call some a company on the phone and you get a recording. If you want such and such, press this option. If you want such and such, and it's a very mechanical voice. If you want this such press this option, you press that option. Now, if you want this uh, such and such, press this option, and press this option, and none of your options are there. 
you, the option you want isn't there. So, so you back up, start over, try to find different options. You're in this maze. Is there a face? No. Is there even a real voice? No. There's no real human contact you can make. So anger, frustration mounts. It's the same principle. Now, I. that's the static versus the dynamic. That environment, yeah, that, that's really interesting, Gene, because the way God made this, this uh, leads to destruction and disconnect and, and abandonment. There's two factors, and most of my research tied with those. That's how we measured attachment. Is if the mother did not do the touch, was mm -hmm. the biggie we all know. But the other was his facial. Mm -hmm. That wasn't there. It does the right frontal lobe. Uh, it doesn't release the dopamine that stimulates the right frontal lobe development, where you do tenderness and empathy and all that really high-level stuff and therefore the baby can't, we, you know, we study depressed mothers and uh, the baby can't do attachment. You have what we call interrupted attachment. But uh, the big factor was no facial. You know, depressed mothers don't show the emotion, they're flat. And they're, oh, yeah, that's huge, huge. So, so my question for my students lately has been, okay, so does the God of the Old Testament have a still face or an active <laughs> oh, that's face? A good one, isn't it? That's a and they good all one. say active. Active, active. After. Uh, yeah. But what about idols? Yeah. Still face yeah. or actives? And suddenly yeah. you understand why God is just up in arms against idolatry. Yeah. You know, I'm working with a situation right now. A lot of times, with men, particularly with men, we're we're kind of we're Marlboro. We're kind of raised to not. A lot of times, we don't get it as children as much as girls do. Right. So I always have to. I'll get couples in, and the wife does not believe anything he says because he doesn't show love and tenderness on his face. <laughs> So I make him do face work, do mirror work. For the, I says, you've got to match. Well, I think that. I said, you've got to show it on your face so she will never believe you. you know? that's, that's amazing that you connect that. Mm -hmm. so, so now we have the comforter. And the comforter is the comforter of truth, not as fact. Not as what is real or unreal but as what can be trusted, what draws us, what embraces us. So the Holy Spirit is God's embrace because he can be with each one of us all the time, actively loving us, touching us, being God's face to us. He is the truth in that sense. You know, gee, no, no, one ever, no one teaches that. I never, well, I never used to. I never. I never used to know it. <laughs> truth is taught to us as Greek. Uh, it's over. Yeah. It isn't taught to us as Hebrew. This dynamic. I mean, the hugging one. I mean, I mean, this is powerful. That is powerful. Wow. So, so I've come to see, and and a lot of this has been the discovery of language and 
experiential models that explain what I have experienced with God. I mean, I have experienced this with God, but I never knew how to articulate it or express it in a way that yeah. could get across. I, I was always kind of nebulous and mystical about it and, and couldn't exactly explain it. Um, but just, this has just come together in recent years. In fact, this uh, thing of the, sta- of the uh, still face, that, that was just found on Facebook a few weeks ago, and I just went into orbit. <laughs> because I was just uh, just profoundly suddenly the Old Testament just just came alive and active and living and moving and and all those false gods were just fakes <laughs> of uh, what God made us to be and who He is. So a a a good, well well trained and well cultured Hebrew, he would worship, he would experience God, how would he do all this? Is that involved, that's why they... Well, this is why the the tabernacle, which we have put in stasis, (laughs) is, is a living, moving, vibrant thing, and yes, things die. But that's what sin does. How can you, how can we really deal with sin if we don't realize its destructive nature? Uh, so, so you have the tabernacle, and everything is it's like mime. Uh, you, you have all this active stuff going on. Uh, whereas the, the Babylonians, you just brought your food offering and pacified your God and went on your way. That's a, the tabernacle is cool. You're participating. You're not observing worship. You're participating in worship. Exactly. You're participating in God. And and the priests go in for you and and they wash themselves. That's active. They eat the bread and assimilate it and they they uh, have the altar of incense where they're praying uh and then the light that's shining. Uh, it's all visual, it's all interactive, it's all dynamic. And then you go in before <laughs> You go, if, if you went into the most holy place, which, of course, nobody was allowed to do except the high priest once a year, there you have, where's God? Um, um, the space. <laughs> the space. Um, but it's more than that. You have the Shekinah. The burning, active, living light above the mercy seat. Warmth. Light. All of those things are joyful images, aren't they? The light, the warmth of the, the Shekinah. I'm talking about the Shekinah. It's, it's a joyful because light lights up our good uh, epinephrine. I mean, it, it, it sends all the right yeah. signals to the brain. If, if you suffer from sad, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> which I do, you know. And, and I, I can go winters without thinking I'm depressed. But my body feels it, and pretty soon my immune system's down, and I'm not thriving. And um, so uh, when the sun comes out, immediately it's like my brain lights up. It just goes, yes, I, now I can do life again. <laughs> so, so that light, that warmth, that hug, that, that embrace of God. None of the high priest described... Because you know how we feel the warmth of the sun, and the, you know, I wonder what what it was like for them standing there. If there is this whole all the, all so. these things, you're feeling warmth, you're so. feeling the electricity of the 
presence you're feeling. You know, when you're in his presence. Because <laughs> we get a little glimpse of that. I think that's what you said when you discovered moving beyond that to the dynamic that is really hard to describe, you know, to, to encounter him, you know, to be in his presence, what that is, or describe that. So that, that's what I see Jesus is saying. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to be my embrace, to be my... And, and you're going to do better with him than you have with me. And we don't grasp that. It was like, huh? How can we do better than having Jesus? Because with Jesus, we see his face. No, the Holy Spirit can individually be Jesus to us. I glanced. I, I had it and hadn't seen it. I was going to give it to my friend who was teaching in Simon School down the valley. It was Doug Cooper's, you know, book on the Holy Spirit. His little subtitle. I was glancing through it to share with him. And, his, you know, God's, you know, his great, his great gift to us. You know what I mean? He's, and it just, it just hit me. He said, wow, the Holy Spirit was something. And that's it, what it says. He's given you this incredible gift of his presence 24-7. Yeah. Guide you, comfort you, be with you. And then when the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him, do we see him? Well, there's more than just this to see with, isn't there? Our eyes can only see so much. It reminds me of uh, a friend of mine here at PUC when I was a student who was blind. And, um, we were talking one day, and she kept saying, oh, I see that. I, yeah, I see that. And she kept saying, I see, I see. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> how does she use that word when she can't see? But um, I'm getting, I, it dawned on me, you know, she does see. You know, Jane, I was, I was doing it this week, I, when I'm reattaching couples. First step of intimacy or attachment is eye contact. I, know, I have them together, and I'm working them through this, and I'm constantly having my hold your eye contact. Because if you don't hold the eye contact, I'm not going to get anything in connecting the aff the emotion or the the tenderness. You can just block it. Like and and to to couples whose <laughs> whose relationship is in is in turmoil and yeah, they, first thing you break eye contact. Looking everywhere, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I force that the other way, and it's very powerful. You don't think about the eye. The eye contact is very deep. I am. I'm actually. That has been my source of comfort lately. Uh, before I go to sleep, I imagine that first look in Jesus' eyes. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And He knows everything. I, you know, I. I don't have to get it out on the table and hope He <laughs> understands. <laughs> It's written, the eye is the window. Yeah, the window of the soul. Yeah, it's just, I don't, yeah, it's powerful. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in yeah. you. That intimacy can't be closer, can it, if he's in you? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It means total intimacy. Paul does a big thing with that, to be in Christ. Is mm -hmm. that, was he... Doing the holistic oh, I, oh, I think so. And I see, the so problem too. is that we have read this so long through Greek eyes, we've just flattened it. <laughs> There's no three dimension to it at all. Have you written a sermon about that? I'm actually doing a series. Oh, yeah? That if I do that camp meeting series, do 
I am um, I'm calling it from the from the real to the fraud from fake to authentic yeah. and taking them through the whole plan of salvation the whole story mm. and and showing how how we how the the original world that God created in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, and and that dynamic moving world uh, and then showing the fall and because of lies about God because of a distortion of our reality uh, it led us down into this this and then how the the Babylonians started to introduce us to a flat world where the still face gods that they worshiped uh, and then the Greeks took that on and made it even more profound. As an old therapist, I, I've come to the journey and conclusion that my belief is that intimacy heals all. It gives me meaning, purpose, value, worth, motivation, belonging. It's that holistic, deep stuff with God and others that you know we can try to fix all these things. But if I don't, if I don't. Okay, you're you're saying really the same thing that I believe that Adventists have too long over, tried to overcome sin with power, willpower. And what that amounts to is using force on myself, and all that does is shove my addictions in even deeper. It's like fueling the fire because the cause of my addictions is the lack of love and freedom in the first place that drives that and I have this I'm like this core of emptiness of love that I fill with everything I can find uh, and and it, it only keeps me going but it doesn't give me I don't give it doesn't give me life and that the, the this is this is the victory that overcomes the world our trust that works by love and purifies the soul and so it's that love trusting relationship that provides the intimacy and it implodes the other. I'm having a real difficult time right now, which I usually do working through this stuff, that particularly men, they, they want, well, do this and this and this. You know, they want the list. And I've learned, partly because I'm lazy, if I, if I reattach the couple, if I reattach their hearts and their, their warmth and the tenderness, you know, uh, I can knock out about 80 things off that list <laughs> that you have to do <laughs> to, to make me happy or to, to be kind. Wait, but, <laughs> wait, but, but doesn't it happen in a different way than just checking off a list? Because what, you, what you're doing is your creative mind is suddenly awakened to, I could do this for her, I could do that for her. Yeah, the heart, if you can change the heart, this, this stuff flows out. Right, exactly. And then it comes onto the face. And, 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 and it comes to, hopefully, sometimes you, you have to strain to, you know. We were talking about the face earlier. Starts in here, comes out here. Yeah, yeah. And then you got the eye contact. Boy, but it is, and if that stuff isn't there, I, you know, I always say, um, if, you don't have, if you don't have intimacy, you always go to structure and control. And we grew up with we grew up with this nasty stuff. That's the stuff. Greek way. <laughs> the Greek way, and it doesn't work in romantic relationship or anything else very well. It doesn't work with God either. <laughs> it doesn't work with God either. That's that, that's the sure sign. When we try to do that, that's a sure sign for idolaters and our God is a flat, static, still face. Gene, I think you really found a way that makes sense. Is this flat? I've never heard this flat. When you have the, you know, the mm -hmm. flat face and the flat, you know, there's no, 
dynamic or you know I love that that's a great way to describe it is your religion flat <laughs> you know <laughs> your experience with God flat <laughs> And the whole church is in that flat. <laughs> this, and that's why church is so boring. Most of our kids don't go that we raised, you know, because it's too flat. We should. It is. It is. And not they're dynamic. Not and, dynamic. And our students are just traumatized because of it, I think. I, you know, I, I, I read a study that has been recently done on spanking. Span, the study shows that spanking reduces the gray matter. It is violent. It is. It's violent. It, 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 it reduces the gray matter in the areas of the brain that have to do with self-control oh, over geez. addiction. Sorry, Kim. It's okay. Um, I'm trying to write while you're... Um, this flatness, and I know that you will know whereof I'm speaking, but can, is this flatness also be descriptive? Can it be described as the dead deadness that you feel from narcissism and all of this other stuff that we get from parental? You mean from abuse? That and you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering. You know, because part of the struggle for someone who is a narcissistic survivor is because you tend to come out with nothingness. And so how do you revive that? I'm just wondering if this well, is, is a, a some way of... Go back, to the, go back to the infant and mother uh, testing. You're, the you're infants, if the, if, the mother, if the mother is still-faced, flat face, right. the infant will imitate that. Right. I'm wondering if if this, that we're talking about the dynamic part of the relationship with with our Heavenly Father is, well, is enough. How do you... How it, do you our, our, default, our default is that our parents are the face of God. Exactly. So if our parents had this flat face... God has a flat face. It's, the struggle is to change it. And, and so when, when we're suffering and we reach out to God and He seems silent and flat-faced, it isn't that He is. He's right there crying with us. Sure, yeah. But we can't see it. Yeah. It, yeah, it's just wondering. So and, and that's, that's, that that's where faith that's where faith comes in. Yeah. That if we can break through those barriers that trap us and believe and trust that God is there and that He is crying and then take hold of it with our imaginations, yeah. it becomes real. Okay, I'm just trying to... And God, God that. makes that real. He makes that happen. We can't do it on our own. That's what I was thinking. It's, it's his. It's his working. Yeah. Okay. Could we do? Did, could we design worship like that? You know, does does he? Let me ask you. Does Hebrew? Well, my understanding is like the Passover. The father would tell the story, like they were all experiencing anew they actually, the deliverance, and they're part of the marching out. Actually, and they, they were, tell the story as a family. 
and the kids helped tell that story. We were in Egypt, and our and Pharaoh did this and this to us, and yeah. So they they're bringing it out of the flat into the dynamic. To them, it has never been flat. Lucky, yeah. (laughs) 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 Unless they've been too imbibed in Western education. Neighbor kids. No, this is this to me is if I can if I can get to if, and you can pray for me that I can get to articulate this adequately to make it so real that it's just right there. But I th- I think it'd be would be fun to operationalize that and look at some of the Hebrew stuff and that and and do an experimental worship where we are doing a dynamic. And we're all involved, we're participating, we're experiencing, not just... I, you know, you know, David, carry on. (laughs) Could you sell that to him? (laughs) I know I'm a little. I don't know. I don't know how how to make that bridge work. Or how to make the bridge and then walk on it. Um... It would be easier in a small group. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but yeah. did it carry over into the synagogues? Because Hellenism took over Judaism. Oh. By the time the, synag- the synagogues emerge after the exile, they, they go to Babylon and get a little static there, and then um, the Hellenism takes over and they get completely static. This is this is this is now. You know, you got to do these things. You have this long list oh, of things did. to do, and and, and 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 one of the stories that I was um, musing on last night and, and living, as I like to live these stories of Jesus, this woman walks in bent over, like this, for eighteen years, and everybody thinks she has a demon. She has scoliosis, obviously, but but everybody thinks she has a demon. She walks in to the synagogue. Jesus is up front teaching. Keep in mind, you have the men here, the rabbis only in the front, the men here, and the women back here. Much like a Muslim mosque. She walks in the back to sit with the women, and Jesus says, come up here. Yes, you, come up here. (laughs) She walks all the way up through the men's section into the rabbinic section, and this run of Jesus. And Jesus says, you're free from this. And she looks at him like, what? Probably a little like this. Uh, And Jesus puts his hands on her. And she's free. She straightens up. Imagine that touch and what that must have meant to her. Um, And she straightens up. And begins praising God. <laughs> Unorthodox to the core, unstatic, unflat, uh, dynamic. Oh, man. And the synagogue master says, you, There are six days on which you can come to be healed. You should not be healed on the Sabbath. Static. And Jesus says, Look, you, look. You take an ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath day. 
And should not this woman who has been bound by Satan for 18 years be loosed on the Sabbath day? Isn't she better than an ox? And you can, you can go through almost every sin problem is about this problem. Dynamic versus static. Sin cripples us, freezes us, makes us less whole and alive. Um, sorry, uh, what parable or what event were you speaking of? I'm trying to write. Jesus, heal, Jesus healing the woman bent over. Thank you. Well, we need to go. Well, I was musing about these things this morning and wondering why. And now I know. God who is active, alive, the God of the living and not the God of the dead. We pray that we may accept your spirit's embrace and the life that he seeks to give us through his love. May that become such an abiding presence with us that it shows on our face. In Jesus' name, amen.